<laughs> and happy Thursday to you, Lima Land. Welcome inside the Basement Doctor Studio. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you here on Cookie and the Monster, Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Happy Thursday to you. Thanks for joining us, whether you're listening on your radio at 93onthefan.com or on the free 93 on the Fan app. We appreciate you for making time for us today. Mr. Seawright, how is your Thursday thus far? Oh, uh, you know how it is. It's, a little bit. Uh, it's a lovely 20 degrees out on the square here in downtown Lima. It's pitch black the entire time I drive to work and come home from work. <laughs> this is the dog days of winter, man. The dog days of winter. I would agree. And the, the fortunate part, if there is such a thing, to winter, and I've, I've yet to find the silver lining to winter, I mean, other than the fact that basketball does exist, those kind of things. <laughs> Christmas, I suppose, is a good thing in there. You could you could factor in. I, I just, we haven't had a bunch of snow and ice. No, no, it's been... We have been thoroughly lucky in that, you know, um, I, I know basically everybody else in the state got pounded earlier this week and we're sitting around like, oh, hey, look at that. A couple snowflakes on my back patio. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. See, and the, 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 the double edged sword for me or the catch 22 for me is I hate the snow and the ice can't literally can't stand the snow and the ice want nothing to do with it. Wish it would never, ever appear again. But even without it, it's going to be dark all the time. Right. It's going to be colder than a well digger's backside. And so as a guy who works in public education, again, if you're seeking a silver lining, the occasional school cancellation is not bad. Yeah. Haven't had any of those. It'll, be, fact, fo- it'll be foggy someday, have, Jeff. I've had a whopping <laughs> yeah. total of ah delay for the school year, and I had so much to do on that day that I drove to work on a two-hour delay day. I got there 35 minutes later than I normally would get to school <laughs> to take advantage of my two-hour delay. So yeah, it's winter. Uh, it is basketball season, and that's a big plus, although last night was not the greatest night for uh, my Cavaliers. They they did not look that great last night against the Bulls, and the Bulls are what they are. They're, the, they're by record, the best team in the Eastern Conference for a reason right now. I'm still having a hard time piecing that one together, but the the Cavs dropped one to the Bulls last night, and to their credit, they they had won five straight. They had gone five and one on, on a recent road trip, and come home on Monday to knock off the Nets without Kevin Durant. But we don't apologize for wins, and so uh, going on the road to Chicago probably not not a terrible loss, but uh, disappointing uh, for them not to play well enough to get a win. And, and that's what I was kind of into last night was watching the Cavs. Also, you can. Uh, Check it out online if you haven't looked at the Ohio Northern University men's basketball team went on the road last night and played a really good game against a ranked Heidelberg squad but came up short 74-71. ONU now sits at 7-7. Seven and seven. Had some COVID issues go through their program. Had to play a game uh, about a week ago. They had to play a game with eight guys not in uniform and four starters out against Baldwin-Wallace. That didn't go very well. And, and the, the, the Bears, you, I think. As you might expect. As you might expect. And I think the Bears at one point may have been 7-2. and two. And now they sit at seven and seven. Uh, the Bluffton University men last night fell at Manchester, eighty-four sixty-nine, and the Beavers sit at five and eight. Speaking of that, Manchester is not allowing spectators uh, of any kind. Not not family. Not so. There were, you know, thirteen guys on each bench, probably two, three coaches, three officials, a couple of folks at the scores table, and, and that was it. How, how different of an environment would that be after getting back to a somewhat normal schedule and then you go straight back to, hey, we are playing in front of literally no one? I suppose the easy answer to that question would be, well, you know, we played basically in front of no one last year, so it's not that odd. I, I got to believe that no matter how much you did it a year ago, the fact that there are people in nearly every place that you go, 
I just can't believe that playing a game in front of an empty building of people isn't really, really difficult. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Last year, coaching high school in front of very, very, very few people was difficult, but there were enough people there that it felt like a game. Right. If Manchester has decided we got, you know, game personnel <laughs> and that's it, and there are no there are no fans in the stands, there's nobody you know, to support you or, or, or motivate you by, you know, booing you or whatever it is. I hate that phrase, booing you. I don't know. Does anyone actually say boo? I, I suppose someone probably does, but I don't I don't get it. Mm. I just think it would be incredibly difficult. And I don't care how much you did it a, a year ago or when you did it last. I, I think it would be really hard. And I think that the um, most challenging part of it would be that at some point during any game that you play, you actually feed off the energy in the building. You, you just do. Right. Players right. do. Coaches do. We all do. And when that's completely lacking, I, I, I got to believe it's a real challenge to, to players, coaches, everybody. Because at the start of the pandemic or you know when the nba was playing in the bubble and players were talking about you know there's no atmosphere blah blah i'll just play the play the game and at the time i i I was completely wrong like that stuff doesn't matter it absolutely matters it matters to us while we're announcing the game if it's a a game where nobody really gives a damn i don't do a very good job of being excited but when folks in the crowd are excited and there's atmosphere and energy there and i can't imagine you know relying on or wanting to rely on that home crowd to bring you some to bring you some extra juice and it just be completely devoid of any atmosphere, energy, personality, nothing. It's basically a Saturday at ten AM scrimmage on a Wednesday night during a conference game. It just and I know there's some precedent and some experience in that situation, but to go back to that would I, I just think would be horrendous. <laughs> just why I wouldn't want to do it. Well there's no doubt that it would be. And and part of that I guess from a coaching standpoint would be it's a great chance to sell your message that that you know it's it's about the guys in this locker room we're the ones that matter we've got to you know bring our own energy bring our own juice and you can preach all that and they can be bought into and you can have guys excel in in moments but there's no possible way that during the course of any sort of competitive game that you don't notice that that's lacking and it's right. not a challenge for your team i i just believe it has to be i mean a, a big part of competitive sports period is the atmosphere that gets generated and I wasn't there, haven't been to, to, obviously no one was there to tell you what it was like at Manchester, but I saw enough three-fourths empty or seven-eighths empty buildings to know that it's got to be a problem. And unfortunately, that may be the solution that some places go to to avoid the cancellation games. We're going to talk about this later in the program. Game cancellation is a major problem right now uh, across the college ranks and across the country, and we haven't seen a ton of it at the high school ranks, but we're headed into the teeth as you said, the dog days of winter, and it's not going to be shocking to me if we do end up seeing something begin to be more of a problem. Uh, on the women's side locally last night, the Ohio Northern women were a 54-39 winner over Heidelberg, and they are 10-4 and on the season, just 4-3 and in the OAC, but 10-4 and overall. And the Bluffton women got a win at home versus Manchester, 71-44, to and they are 10-5 and on the season, are the Chad Shuttler's Bluffton University women. So the local college scene, I, I guess a mix, but Bluffton's men have uh, some youth and inexperience, and they're, they're more experienced players 
are are fewer in number. They've had some real COVID problems go through their team. I don't know that it's been publicized around here, but Denny Thompson is on the staff at Bluffton University and ended up being the acting head coach for about three games because of some COVID issues that went went through the Bluffton program. And uh, Bluffton sits at five and eight with a chance to hopefully improve in this in the second half of their conference season. ONU men at five hundred, the ONU women at ten and four, and the Bluffton women at ten and five. So uh, that's where we stand with the local sports scene. It was kind of an odd night last night, not having. Anything, I guess, that was really creating a lot of buzz in the sports world, if yeah. you will. I mean, I was I was happy to watch the Cavs, but it, we've been on such a run since about oh, I don't know, middle of September, where it always felt like there was something creating buzz, and it's, it was a little bit yeah. lacking last night. But our our local colleges were in action, and a, a big night of high school hoops ahead of us tomorrow night. We'll have. St. Mary's at Shawnee here on the, the fan game of the week. 7 o'clock airtime for Garrett and I to be at Lappin Gymnasium. Haven't called a game at Lappin in quite a while. I think it's probably been about six years Well, since um, I called a game at Lappin. Luckily for you, uh, it, it's horrendous for me because the seats that we sit in were put in probably in the, I don't know, 50s, 60s. How old is Lappin Gymnasium? 50s? I would 50s guess, fair. I would guess fifties is is close. So people were a little scrawnier than they than I am now. So uh, no. once I find a way to get comfortable in that seat, Cookie, uh, you're gonna have to sit to the left of me so you can get out and go to the bathroom. Because once I'm in, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, are, are we? The last time I did a game, I was in like the front row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's not an easy. And, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a limited dexterity kind of problem so getting into the seats is not a real easy getting getting out maybe something i decide i don't want to do because it's not worth it so we'll be the but i also have but i also have a bladder the size of a peanut shell so what it'll be two lumps just sitting there in the front row like man those guys haven't moved at all nope no they have not we're going to rely on shawnee and st mary's to provide the energy to get us actively engaged in what we're doing and i'm sure that'll happen uh some news that we're going to talk about during today's program. The Ohio State University men will not play against Nebraska on Saturday, coming off of their rousing performance against IUPUI on Tuesday night, a, a game which they had to schedule to make up for. How many games have the Ohio State Buckeyes lost So now? they missed three non-conference games at the end of their season, the, uh, the end of the non-conference slate, and now this, I think, is the first Big Ten game that they'll have to have. Who were the three? They had New there Orleans. Was, New was, Orleans was one of them. I'm pulling up the schedule. Yeah. right now. And I um, looked at the, they, New Orleans, the, Kentucky, Kentucky. The game I, that that one I knew. Did they have Tennessee like a, Martin? Tennessee Martin. So, and those were all right around Christmas, were yeah, they not? Eighteenth, twenty first, and twenty eighth of December. And now, so they they scheduled IUPUI to make up one of those, so their yes. total game count wouldn't be impacted. Again, we'll right. talk more about that later in the program. And now, you know, I, IUPUI is a a nice substitute for Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did they? Do you suppose they had to pay IUPUI? I guarantee you, they pay hey, IUPUI. What, what do you suppose they had to pay them to two fifty? Well, I guess if I was IUPUI, I'd do it. I'd do it for sure. Unfortunately, the Buckeyes won't be playing Nebraska, and that's a, a league game, one that they, they say they're going to work together to try to reschedule, but we'll talk about what other concerns that creates for Ohio State. Seems to be a topic of conversation on a lot of sports radio over the last couple of days. What coach, what, which quarterback is under the most pressure heading into the divisional round of the playoffs this weekend? I think that's an interesting conversation. Got some news on the NFL's lawsuit with John Gruden. Uh, that front has provided us a little bit of news. And I don't know if you saw this, but Kyrie Irving got fined for 
being less than friendly with a fan at a game you were at at a game i happened to be at. and i've got so many questions (laughs) i've got so many questions so we've got all that to talk about. We hope that you'll stick around. We're going to take a Don Jiggy's Jewel Time Out. When we come back, we'll get into our Twitter poll questions before we start diving into the topics of the day on Cookie and the Monster here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. What's that? Back here inside the basement, Dr. Studio, Cookie and the Monster with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Garrett and I are presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply online at work at mcd.com where you can work today and get paid tomorrow. That's Lewis Family McDonald's. We got Twitter poll questions today, sir. Do we've got a pair of them up at nine three one the fan on Twitter? The first question is: Should leagues fine players for responding to heckling fans? Sixty three percent say no. Kyrie Irving was fined fifty thousand bucks for something he said to a fan, and it's kind of uh, ambiguous. Nobody, like, I haven't seen a social media video that went viral of what he said or any reports of what he said to a fan, but he was fined $50,000 for saying something to a fan in Cleveland on Monday. And we'll dive into that more in the second half of the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion on whether they should be fine or shouldn't be fine for that conversation. I can tell you I was at the game on Monday. I was going to say, because John, John was there. And watched all of it. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be in a place where I could get all the food I wanted to eat just by getting in a ah. short line. So I missed chunks of the game at times when I was trying to, you know, just take advantage of some things. But <laughs> I don't remember anything. I do remember that he did hit a, he did hit a shot in the first half and turn and say something to the people behind him, which you see NBA guys do all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, ca- right. you know, cast a quick glance or stare, but there was no real reaction to what I saw. There was no conversation about it in the arena whatsoever. And nothing that I heard on the post game, you know, leaving on on Monday, uh, early evening, uh, from that contest. I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised at, at hearing about this now, but yeah, we'll talk about the actual whole concept of players being fined. I I don't know that my opinion will surprise anyone, but I'll I'll share it later in the program because we're going to revisit that question. And we're also asking at nine three one the fan on Twitter, uh, the generic sports top talk question today: Which NFL quarterback has the most pressure on them this weekend Patrick Mahomes Aaron Rodgers Matt Stafford somebody else 50% say it's Aaron Rodgers really I know that was my you, you th- and I don't know is that a because it's been a decade since he won a Super Bowl and you're the number one overall or you're the number one seed I don't know I I, I, I don't I, I wouldn't put the pressure on Aaron Rodgers you know I, we'll, we'll get into that conversation but I'll share a little bit here to say simply this that I think Aaron Rodgers is in a place where the pressure really should only be the pressure that he's putting on himself. If there are people who are out there saying that the outcome of this season is pressure-packed because of how the season began and all the off-season stuff, I think that's largely been kind of forgotten by the vast majority of people, and it's not really an issue any longer because he's played on an MVP level for the second consecutive year. I believe this to be true as well, Garrett, that if they go on and win the Super Bowl, I don't think Aaron Rodgers' legacy changes a great deal. And if they fail yeah. to get to the Super Bowl this year, I don't think his legacy changes a great deal because it's very possible that he's going to win his second consecutive league MVP. Now, he may not. He and, he and Brady, and I, I can have that conversation as well, that comparison. We maybe do that uh, on tomorrow's show. But I, I think he's almost pressure-resistant at this point. I mean, that, there's no reason for pressure to stick to him because a great outcome won't change much, and a, and a, and a less than, than hoped-for outcome, 
I just don't think is going to stick to him as that much of a negative no. because he's been so good over the last two regular seasons. And generally, if you know, they lost to Tampa Bay at home last year, it wasn't because of him, right? No, his <laughs> coaches take more heat. It's I, I don't I don't I don't I don't compute the Aaron Rodgers this weekend as the one who's got the most pressure, and maybe it is just because. They're the number one seed, and basically, and I don't, I don't know if that's people predicting. Hey, Niners are tough, man. Niners are tough. Already looking ahead. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't view him as having all that much pressure. Where I, I think he relieves some pressure probably if they lose. If he plays well and they lose, there's a, a certain section of Packers fans and NFL fans in general who would then understand why he wants, to, why he would want out. Like if they can't, Certainly. if we can't win a Super Bowl when I'm playing at this level, I got to go somewhere else, and that would make a lot of sense to folks. I think I, I do too. But but the the other side of the coin would be if he plays poorly and they lose, and I, and I'm here to tell you that I wouldn't have him any higher than third or fourth on the list of guys that are playing this weekend. That if he plays poorly and his team loses, is going to face the brunt of the pro of the criticism and and be viewed as the problem I, I, I there think, are other guys that are far taking going to take far more heat if they play poorly and their team loses than Aaron Rodgers is going to I in my opinion when I look at the guys that are playing I think of the the list of folks who have pressure on this them this weekend he's he he's number two in the game he's playing of oh, quarterback, no quarterbacks who have pressure on them. he's no he's question. number two in the number one seeds in the conferences. Like I think Ryan <laughs> Tannehill's got more pressure on him than than Aaron Rodgers does. Uh, I'm I'm surprised by by our, our generally uh, generally pretty well thought out listeners who I almost nearly agree with. Well, eighty five percent of the time, but I'm, there's I'm a, not on this one. There's a percentage of that vote that's driven by the fact that people just don't like the guy, and that's I'm, that's fair. He's he is unlikable. He's, <laughs> there, he's certainly earned that. Right. He's got some some unlikable qualities. I would say that that's more than a fair statement. If you don't like Aaron Rodgers, that is not an unpopular opinion, and it's not an unwarranted opinion. And if Aaron Rodgers gets votes for having more pressure on him in this weekend's playoffs than other quarterbacks, simply because people don't like him, Aaron Rodgers can look in the mirror and say, well, you did it. Right. <laughs> you you kind of created this. This is you, brother. So that's kind of the way it works. So those are our two poll questions. You can vote until 545, and we'll hit those uh, for a reset at the top of hour number two, and we will go over the results at the end of the program. We're going to take another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We're going to step back. When we come back, we're going to get into that conversation what coach and quarterback combo faces the most pressure this weekend? And I think it is an interesting topic, and we've got a, a full slate of games this weekend to talk about, and every combination of coach and quarterback, I think, is worthy of conversation for one reason or another. Hope you'll join us for that after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. I'm John Cook. My partner's Garrett Seawright. We're cooking the monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you back here on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Thanks so much for joining us today. However you're doing so, we do appreciate it. And one of our Twitter poll questions is which quarterback faces the most pressure in this weekend's playoffs. So that's going to lead to a conversation for us where we're going to kind of modify that. Our conversation is going to be about what coach and quarterback combination face the most pressure. And I don't know, I spent some time, and even during that break, kind of rewriting mine and taking a look at things. I, I think everybody's in a little bit of a unique situation, which maybe is something that you don't even have to say because it's they are separate teams in separate scenarios. But... There really is a little bit of a unique feel to everybody's situation. The only thing I feel confident in with my list is I know who's last. I know who's under the least pressure. Yeah, because there's one team playing with house money. They're like, it don't matter. 
They, and they aren't very far from us. No. <laughs> the Bengals are like whatever happens happens if they win hey that's that's awesome that is fantastic if they lose nobody expected them to be here anyway so what's it matter yeah, like they, nobody expected them to make the playoffs let alone be one of the final eight teams remaining so they can whatever happens happens like, they can get beat by 45 and nobody's gonna be like man I don't know if Joe Burrow's a guy right <laughs> no they, they, they are at minimum a year ahead of schedule with a division yeah. championship and a playoff appearance and I think not only are they playing with house money, so that takes the pressure off, but they're actually the the kind of team with their talent that can make their like nobody wants to play them. <laughs> right. They're right. not they're not a team that you look at and say that's an exciting opponent. That's that's a team we feel, you know, eager to play. They they are a little bit scary for everybody and they don't they don't have to feel pressure in my estimation because of that. So very clearly they're number eight on my list. Yeah. And I, I, that's probably where I think they deserve to be. Uh, bar none, no real question about it. My list changes a little bit after that, and, and or gets challenging a little bit to me after that. Yeah, and yeah, so I I'd think be so. curious. Did you do like an eight through one? I, I didn't, but I can. Okay, because I, I kind of wrote mine out eight through one with with Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow being at number eight. Yeah, my number seven might surprise you a little bit because for some of the same reason. That, that I feel like, and it's different for quarterback and for coach. This has to do with expectations. This is some pressure because there is some perceived question about his quality as an NFL head coach. Yeah. You know, is he an upper echelon guy that can get his team to a title? Ryan Tannehill doesn't have those questions. In fact, people would say he's not an upper echelon guy. Right. And if he gets to a title, it'll be because he manages things and doesn't screw it up. And their defense and their running game is what does it for them. And those two things kind of work in concert almost. Yeah. The, the pressure that Vrabel gets to take on takes some of the pressure off of his quarterback. But because it's not clear cut, I think they're number seven. I don't, I don't think there's a tremendous, even as the top seed, because they've also got the idea and the very clear I don't know if excuse is the right word, but they very clear no, they do. They have it. reason to point to that you know our best player hasn't played in weeks. <laughs> and they've played they've used more players on the active roster this year than anyone else in NFL history. That's how banged up they've been. As they've played, I think was it 90, 94, 95 active different players. Yep. And they're fifty three man roster in eighteen weeks. So, to, so they've got a built-in excuse, and I think you're right that, one, to, to the Titans' credit, their offensive coaches don't put too much on Ryan Tannehill. They don't say, hey, go win us the game, big guy, because I don't know that they have the faith that he would do it, but they don't put themselves in that situation, and no, they deserve right. credit for that. It seems self-explanatory, but they deserve some, some credit for that. But that's also the part that gets put under the microscope when you get to the postseason, because the games become just different, and it, right. it, it really is challenging to operate the way you did in a regular season if you've got an obvious limitation. But I would say for Tennessee, for, for both Mike Vrabel and for Ryan Tannehill, that maybe it's a timing... like. If we're having this same conversation next year, then their pressure is much, right. much higher yeah. than it is right now. So well, they, and they, that was like Tannehill and Vrabel are both pretty secure in where they're at. I think the pressure is more on Vrabel. Um, that I don't know that the Titans have gigantic expectations or belief in Ryan Tannehill, so the the pressure doesn't really ratchet up because you know the pressure's not on him; it's on their defense and on Derrick Henry to perform more than it is on Ryan Tannehill. But that goes hand in hand. With Mike Rabel more than it does Ryan Tannehill. I certainly think so. So, so eight and seven, we're kind of in agreement on. I think I, I, I might have had the Titans at six, 
just because, hey, you're the number one seed. Right. Like, yeah. uh, to me, the Chiefs are pretty low on my list because Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are both very secure in their jobs. They've, they've won a Super Bowl together, and I think they've got that built-in excuse of, our defense is trash. <laughs> we can score 49 points, and we might not win, and, and it's not their fault. So that if you're going coach quarterback, I think they've got a built-in excuse of, if we are to lose to Josh Allen and the Bills, who pitched a perfect game last weekend, you've got a reason to go, just throw your hands up and say, hey, it wasn't our year. Our defense sucks. Well, and you know, I think there's a validity to that argument that that I also disagree with from this perspective. Andy Reid was a guy who was viewed for a tremendously long time as a guy who couldn't get it done. Right, entirely too long. And then when when he did get it done, you would expect that that's kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card for a long time. Yeah. But he also, at that point in time had what was perceived to be the most lethal and most unique weapon in the NFL yeah. in Patrick Mahomes. And now we're staring down another season where if it doesn't go the way they want it to go, the questions come back around. And they come back around in two parts. Now it's, hey, Andy Reid, what's going on? Why, why are we back where we were when you were in Philly? And it's back on a little bit more on to Patrick Mahomes of, what was that? You know, was that pulling the wool over our eyes a little bit? Was that that gunslinger thing that you did? Was that a one-year deal? And and I think the pressure for them is what we saw with Dan Marino and what we saw. Like you did it once. A lot of guys do that. Right. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of guys do, do that. Can you do it? Can you do it eight you, times? You got to do that again, and you don't just got to do that again because two years ago, when you were in this spot and you were making this run, we were talking about how close can he get to Brady's seven. Right. So I think there's a a certain amount of pressure that goes with that. And again, Andy Reid's pressure is just a resurfacing of, oh, wait a minute, he is the guy we thought he was. You know, he had the best guy in the league, and that guy got him to a title, and I don't know. I think that's fair. I have them actually, they're actually very high on my list. I, I just, I think, one, they've got that built-in excuse last year of, hey, we didn't have an offensive line in the Super Bowl, that <laughs> we just write that one off. Um, and, and I think the question maybe becomes if they don't if if they if they bow out this Sunday, the question I think could become is is Patrick Mahomes' greatness being wasted by a by Andy Reid? Is I think the larger question more than because I think people see Patrick Mahomes and go, man, that guy can play, and I don't know that there's a whole lot of question about it. I, I because that per, that stigma of Andy Reid persists for a very long time of he's a good coach but he can't win the big one and, and I think that's unfair to a lot of people because you know how many people win the big one not many one team every year actually it's just yeah. statistically <laughs> certain that one team, <laughs> wins, one team wins the big one every year and I, and I think Andy Reid's a really easy guy to root for I started laughing when you brought up Andy Reid win the Super Bowl because I remember they're like Andy how does this feel or what are you going to do now that you won the Super Bowl and, and he, his response is like you find a big Have old a cheeseburger. Hand, find a big old cheeseburger or something. <laughs> you got this monkey off your back that's been on it for twenty five years. Like if I get a big cheeseburger or something, that'd be nice. Um, so he's just such a good dude to root for that I don't think I don't think the pressure ratchets up that much because they've got that. Hey, our defense sucks, and and if you lost to the team that this guy's just playing at a ridiculous level, I think it's one of those you just throw your hands up. Hey, it it wasn't our year, and but I I think ranking you know one through five is difficult i got arians i, I got arians and brady at six I, I i think they're pretty low 
Yep, I got them. Why would they be under pressure? They got it. They got theirs, the and he's getting and Brady's got seven. Right. The one thing that that would ratchet up the pressure is time. Bruce Harris is old, and Tom Brady's Tom, Tom Brady's older in, in in relation to how long you can do your job. Bruce Arians can coach for however long he's he's seventy and, sixty nine. And, and for each of those guys, though, how much of whatever they do now is literally like an embarrassment of riches and an, an icing right. on the cake. I mean, Arians got a late start as a head coach. Arians hasn't had the, the, the long run of success that that Brady has had. But in large part, Arians getting the title last year validates what most people thought about him anyway. He's kind right. of a mad scientist. He's a little bit of a genius. He's a screwball, but he can really, really coach. And, and if he gets the right people, watch out. Well, he got the right people, and, and they did what right. they did. And I, and I would say that they're probably... I would say they're they're facing less pressure now. The amount of game pressure that's on them is significant because they are their their offensive lines beat up, right? And it's getting talked about a little bit, but not enough. Like they they could be in some real like, trouble because you're playing Aaron Donald and yeah. Von Miller on yeah, Sunday. Absolutely, and they could and that that'll bring me to the next part of my conversation. My fifth team, if I get eight seven six five, is Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers. I've actually got them kind of middle of the pack, so to speak. Because I, here's why. Aaron Rodgers has done so much. I mean, he is the guy. When we talk about the, the greatest quarterback of all time, it's Tom Brady. And that is almost never said anymore without an immediate follow-up. But the most talented guy ever right. is Aaron Rodgers. If you're in that class and people are saying, well, you only got one title, Mike McCarthy gets blamed for Aaron Rodgers only having one title. Aaron Rodgers doesn't get blamed for that. Right. And and so there's that. That takes a little bit of the pressure off Aaron Rodgers. His outstanding regular season performances – and the fact that the failures to get to the Super Bowl, some people will sit around and say he's had, you know, what, three, four, whatever it is, bites at the apple, and he's right. only gotten one. But I know— Like, they're in the championship game every year. But I know last year when they didn't get done what they were supposed to get done, by and large, it was— there were a lot of stupid mistakes by the coaching staff strategically, yeah. particularly the defensive stuff right before halftime. Um I just I think they're middle of the pack. I may have been able to move them up to fourth, maybe. I've got them at fifth because at fourth I've got McDermott now, and I, Buffalo I think is also maybe a year ahead of schedule. Yeah, I was going to say I I think I think that the Bills have less pre- less less pressure on them because I don't think their championship window is closing. I think Josh Allen is just probably now getting to the level where he is top five top three quarterback in the NFL and Sean McDermott seems like the guy who can get them to a Super Bowl but I don't think their championship window closes if they don't win this year Green Bay that pressure ratchets up because there's this looming is Aaron Rodgers going to stay is he going to leave if they lose he's got damn near every reason he wants to to leave if they and I think that weighs more than Josh Allen being 25 years old and Sean McDermott still being young and having a, a nice grip on that on that locker room, so I think the Bills have less pressure than the Packers. I, I I would put the Packers up maybe top three, just because of that. Hey, if we don't get this done, this could be, this could mean like have huge ramifications for our franchise for the course of the next five years if we don't win this weekend. That's that's a fair point. I I, I think it, it really is because if 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 Rogers leaves, then you know what is that leave Matt Lafleur as right now Matt Lafleur is the only coach in the history of the NFL to win 13 games in his first three seasons now without now, now, right. without playoff With, success 
What does that mean? Right, he won and 13 games with Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, are you are you in that Mike McCarthy class again right. of, you know, what does right. that mean about you? And look, and I think that's total BS. I think it's garbage that we do that because you can't point to a coach in the NFL that would lose Aaron Rodgers and you would feel differently about the success or, right. or, or observe them having less success. But it's interesting. You make a point that you think the Packers are higher. You think that Kansas City is considerably lower on yeah. the list than I do. I, I I had for my third place deal the, the third most the top three to me, two of them are a gimme. I have Shanahan and Garoppolo at third, and I could have seen them going to second. I I I think they're second. I think in my probably list. yes because I had Reed and Mahomes at second just because I think they have such high expectations. Yeah. And that, they that they faltered at that. the start where the question was, oh my gosh, what's wrong back. with Kansas City? They get on track, but we can then look back and say, you know, they've had these problems all year. Remember back in October sure. when they were two well, and five. And San Francisco's kind of in that same boat because you remember when the year started. Yeah, they were. They had high expectations, and they the way they faltered, there was a lot of conversation about whether or not Shanahan was overrated as a coach, right. and he's you know kind of been given a pass as he's this offensive mastermind, and well, what's going on there? And Jimmy Garoppolo is he's your guy, but well, he's not really getting it done. Trey Lance is, are they going to make the move? And then all of a sudden they get this identity as a team that's going to run the football and they get behind it and they buy into it and they shift gears and here they are. But because they went through such a bad start, we almost forget how high the expectations were when the season started. Where they are right now is kind of an as expected thing, even though beating the Cowboys was viewed by a lot of people as this monster upset. Right. I I think they're second just because the pressure that is on Matt Stafford this weekend is ginormous because the Rams have sold their future f- well, for it, it, to that me, guy. Yeah, to me, the, the gimmies in this were who was eight and who was one. <laughs> right. The, the pressure on Stafford and McVay, and not even so much McVay, is Matt Stafford this weekend is astronomical. They have done everything in their power to win the Super Bowl this season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> That's and a I, lot and to I, put on one I think, guy. I think that actually ratchets it up on McVay a little bit because he got, he got declared this genius – so early in his career that yeah. when they faltered, what did they do? They went out and got him every toy he could possibly yeah, want true. and every weapon and every... They got him everything. So if you are a genius and you've got everything, why wouldn't you be a lock? <laughs> and I would say they're certainly not a lock to get to no. the Super Bowl, much less to win it. And they've, they've got the toughest road ahead of them this weekend, I think. you got to go to Tampa and beat Tom freaking Brady in a playoff game. Uh, it's a little easier said than done. You going to pick him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. That yep. is my guy right there. Because yep. I knew that's where we were headed. Yeah, yeah. Knew that's where yep, we were yep. headed. It'll be interesting to look back come Monday about these scenarios and see if the pressure plays out and the response to the outcomes plays out to the way we thought it would. Right. And whether or not the pressure that we perceive to be on these people is actually real. Because you'll know it by Monday by what the reaction is to what occurs over the weekend as we look ahead to division are we calling it super division weekend nope, just divisional it's which just is division. divisional the divisional round okay so we're no super division we nope. were a super wild card but we're just yes, we're just plain just old division plain old division. some of the some of the luster is no off ketchup, of the divisional tomato no nothing not <laughs> no. deluxe divisional weekend nope we are just divisional weekend so we agree Bengals are eighth in the pressure yep. category yep rams are one yep and there's a jumble in the middle yep and it should look that way when the games get played, I think. We'll probably find that we'll out over the weekend. Time for another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We got an open segment ahead of us. I really don't know what we're going to talk about. 
but we'll figure it out. And if you want to be a part of the show, 419-227-9393, 894 espn That's 888-894-3776. I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. We're Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 on The Fan. Welcome back inside the Basement Doctor Studio. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We're Cookie and the Monster, and we appreciate you joining us. I want to chat a little bit about the Cleveland Cavaliers. We touched on it at the beginning of the show. They fell 117-104 last night to the Eastern Conference leading, yes, he said Eastern Conference leading Chicago Bulls. Technically, Chicago is... What year is it? Yeah. <laughs> what year is it? 1995? <laughs> Winning percentage, they are first in the conference. They're actually kind of tied with, with the Heat. 29 and 16 are the Heat, 28 and 15 are the Bulls. So technically by percentage, it's like a 651 percentage for the Bulls and like 640-something, 644, 645 for the Heat. So uh, the, the Cavs lost last night when they were in fourth, and by last night's loss, they fell to sixth. That tells you how bunched yeah. up things are. The sixth-place team is two and a half games out of first place. And right now, Cleveland is basically in a dead heat with the Sixers, a half a game behind the Bucks. And a game and a half behind the Nets. I I think that is better than expected. I think that the challenging part now is how do we manage what we expect after the All-Star break because this team looks to be a team that could be a top four seed if things go well. They are second in the NBA. Or excuse me, second in the Eastern Conference. First in the Eastern Conference and point and differential, they would be fourth in the Western Conference. But they are first in the league. <laughs> First in the league in their division or in their conference, excuse me, in the Eastern Conference in point differential, and they are second in the entire NBA in points given up defensively. That's not what we expected from this team. An exciting, exciting win over Brooklyn on Monday, followed up by last night's disappointing loss. But a what I think sets up to be a fantastic run the second half of the season yeah. for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Another Don Jiggy's Jeweler timeout ahead of us. We're going to come back for the top of hour and reset the Twitter poll questions. Talk a little bit about OSU hoops. Ninety-three one the fan. Hi, Liam. Yeah, hour number two, straight ahead right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1. The fan feels me like hour one went fast. Am I crazy? Nope. I think it went really, really quickly. Appreciate you for joining us. Live inside the Basement Doctor studio. Hour number two means it's time to reset Twitter poll questions before we get to our next topic. Yes, sir. We got two of them up at 931thefan on Twitter. We're asking, should leagues fine players for responding to heckling fans? 67 or 65% actually just dropped down. Say no. It, they, they should not find players for responding to heckling fans. It goes both ways. The second qu- Twitter poll question that you can vote in until 545 is, which NFL quarterback has the most pressure this weekend? And 45% say Aaron Rodgers, 38% say Matt Stafford, which has gone up significantly since we gave our, our dissertation, John, on why Matt Stafford has the most pressure this weekend. We are rather persuasive orders. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, we are. Took me six years to get a new puppy from my wife. So <laughs> sometimes the audience matters. <laughs> eight, eight, eight minutes, and we got Matt Stafford up thirteen percent. We don't. Maybe, are you saying we don't have a lot of deep thinkers that are voting in our poll? Um, Is that what you're saying? Uh, I just they they understand and recognize our greatness, and I can't even put up that that facade that long. I, <laughs> I can't pretend like I I even know what the hell I'm talking about three quarters of the time. But it doesn't matter. We did swing some votes. We did. Certainly we did. Certainly we did. So, Ohio State's not playing hoops this weekend. No, they uh, got canceled because Nebraska's got the Rona. Nebraska's got the Rona. Ohio State had three games canceled in December. Now they've had a league contest canceled that, that the league says they will work to try and reschedule. Which, conceivably, is probably not the first time that's going to happen. I, the I would say that's a, that's a virtual guarantee. I would say that's a lock, in fact. 
what's your biggest concern coming out of this? Because I have about three if I ranked them in order. What's your biggest concern? One, I think, being you've played, what, uh, four games, five games in a month? I would say that's fair. I mean, you're coming off of maybe that many. They had a 22-day layoff, right? Four, five, see, played six games virtually in a month. And if you don't play again this weekend, which they say they're trying to find a game to replace Nebraska, but in all likelihood, on Thursday at 5 o'clock, getting somebody to come to Ohio State to play on Saturday at 2 seems probably unlikely. I think one would be just flat Call Finley. Out, flat, <laughs> uh, well, Finley's got some... Yeah, they're playing Kentucky Wesley. Well, Trevecca Nazarene on Saturday. Um, I, I think one playing six times in a month, just general rust is something that's somewhat concerning. There's there's concern number one for me, lowest on the totem pole for me, i got to be honest. Right. Well, I, yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think one, just... If maybe you don't play as well through the conference slate as I'd like you to, and you've got games at Purdue and Maryland and Michigan and Rutgers and Indiana and Illinois, we know that the Big Ten is a meat grinder. If things don't go that well and you're missing out on uh, a potential win against Kentucky that could be the difference between you being a in-the-field-or-not-the-field team, that's a concern. Well, and, and I guess Or just maybe your data points, period, if you play – you know, you play 28 games and somebody else played 35 games. That's tough to say. Well, you know, we lost some games. It wasn't our fault, but. I guess that would be the, the biggest, ne- or the, probably the biggest concern for me is what, at what point in time does Ohio State's canceled games represent a real detriment to their, not their tourney chances, they're, they're, they're going to make the tournament. Right. But can they put themselves, I I mean, I assume right. they're going to make it. <laughs> Crazier things have happened, but, but you what, feel pretty confident. What that. real danger are they in of not having enough, as you said, data points, not having enough games played to warrant a, a, a seed that's that gives them an opportunity uh, to advance in the tournament? Now, they were a two-seed last year, I think, not <laughs> beating the first yeah. round, so I don't know what it means to have a legitimate chance to advance. But the other concern for me is, and, and this is something we didn't talk about, so maybe we, we should have laid all this out there, but... They're, they played Tuesday against IUPUI as a replacement game. They are scheduled to play... The juggernaut that is IUPUI. Yes, IUPUI. The they are scheduled to play Saturday at Nebraska and are not playing against Nebraska because of COVID. And then their next scheduled game isn't until a week from today. Correct. And right now, Minnesota is canceling games. <laughs> their, next, their scheduled opponent on Thursday is Minnesota... And they were forced to cancel their matchup with Penn State already this week due to COVID concerns. So I have a real concern now about whether or not, even if we assume they're going to get enough quote-unquote data points to make the tournament, are they going to play enough basketball consistently? Not, I'm not so worried about rust. I'm worried about can they reach their ceiling? Can they actually right. develop to the point where they are the kind of team that we think that they are capable of being? Or will they be just simply held back because of this lack of activity? Right, where you're playing every three or four days rather than playing once every nine days or whatever the case may be. Where, Correct me if I'm wrong, but once you get to this point in the season, there's not a lot of like two-and-a-half-hour strenuous practices where you're, you're really hitting it that hard. It's pretty much game prep, right? You're not 
if, the, if, these, if these guys are on the floor anything more than 90 minutes in a given day right now, I would be surprised. And I would guess that most days in a typical situation, they, they would be closer to 60 minutes than they would be to 90. And yeah. I don't know that you can do that. Right, you can't just <laughs> just keep doing that day after day after day I after mean, day. I mean, when they have these kind of layoffs, loss of conditioning becomes a concern. Absolutely. But also a concern becomes the possibility for injury because of not being in game shape. And so how do you get yourself to that? That's a very, very fine line to walk. And look, I'm not trying to say that these guys are trying to cure cancer. I'm not. That's not my point. But in their world, with what they do as coaches, they have a monstrous challenge in how to manage their team and move it forward. If all you want is to be able to get on the floor for your next game, that's a fairly easy thing to identify and go after. If you're really trying to say, here's where we think our peak is and we want to be there when the Big Ten tournament starts or we want to be there you know, heading into March Madness, I don't know that you can build a plan that's, that, that's kind of based on the idea of we think this gets us to our peak because your plan, COVID don't give a damn. Right, right. right. <laughs> if you think, hey, this is how this is going to go and then, oh, we're playing twice the last two weeks of the season or whatever, well, that's not going to go according to plan and then to try to play in a situation like the Big Ten tournament and say all right let's peak here a little, little easier said than done I, I think you're right though in that the you know if the worry at some point becomes you know the committee might think hey we think Ohio State is a, is a seven seed whatever the case may be but do we do we reward them with that seven seed when they only played 28 games rather than 35 like everybody else no we're going to make them a 10 seed oh well, well that, and, that and becomes you, significantly you, more difficult your question off air and your question on the show sheet was at what point do they get worried about having enough games enough data points you also have to factor in that if they're trying to get enough games are they getting any sort of quality if they've right. got to go find another IUPUI and they're able to do that. Right. They get them on the floor. That 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 helps with the rust issue. It helps you work toward you know reaching your peak at the right time. But when they start comparing right. resumes, <laughs> you've got to kind of hide that part. Right. When, <laughs> when when you know somebody's wins the last month of the season are uh, Baylor, Oklahoma State, etc., and yours are Prairie View A and M and Coppin State. Yeah, it's like, okay, it's a little tough to to justify. I think if they're looking for a game, they ought to see if there's any possibility that Oral Roberts is available. Gosh. Just, Ugh. just, just to say, hey, we want another swing at those guys, <laughs> and we'd like to do it right now. You're in a bad spot when you're like, we want, we want Oral Roberts. Give us another crack at at Oral Roberts. Like, oh, mm-hmm. oh boy, that's tough. I didn't mean to, you know, like Bring tear up. the scab off of an old wound <laughs> there for Buckeyes fans. But it's it's a legitimate question. It is a concern. I'm frustrated as a basketball guy because we're just missing a lot of good games, yeah. not just Buckeye games, but games in general. Obviously, it's impacting Ohio State. At least it seems to be more than, than it is other teams because it's right here in our front yard and we're, de- we're dealing with a lot. Yeah, let's go ahead and we've got a call. Let's go ahead and go. Mark from Van Wert on the uh, on line one here. Mark, what's up, man? It's, um, and I guess I'm going to play just a little bit of devil's advocate here because, honestly, if you're the Buckeyes, you're going to be in the tournament. And the difference between this, you know, Six to ten or eleven seed isn't really that much, so don't backload your schedule with a bunch of made-up games because you know it's the tournament is a grind. I mean, you're playing basically every two days, and 
they're going to, yeah, I think there might be a little bit of rust, but I, I've always been the one that's hated the Big Ten tournament, and I, and I take so much flack for that. Because I don't like it either. I hate, see, I hate seeing my team play three or four games in a row the week before the tournament starts, and then we start into this grind because it happens where you watch teams and they just run out of gas. And I, I'm, I'm on the other end here. I'm thinking, you know what? Take these games off, and, you know, you can run. I mean, yes, you can't necessarily simulate the game, but you can surely do enough conditioning as a coach. These guys have all these strength and conditioning coaches. They know what to do. Take this time off, stay healthy, and go into that tournament, and, you you know, it's not often you're near 100% going to the tournament. Nicks and bruises and sprains and whatnot. So I think it could actually help them in the end. Well, you just stole my thunder, Mark, because that was going to be my closing statement as I headed to break, is as much as I worry about it, I do feel like there is an outside possibility, maybe even not that far outside, a legit possibility that when all of this is said and done and things get back to quote-unquote normal at some point, we may look back and say, hey, this team is fresh, they're sharp, they're finding their rhythm, and they, they've gotten enough rest during the year that it actually helped them. I think, I think you're right. I think it's a great point. Appreciate the call. Thanks for joining us. But I think it absolutely could be that they uh, are, are in a spot where it may help them. But they've got to get something solidified on the back end of this schedule because if this is happening again two or three weeks from now, I think it jeopardizes a lot of things for a lot of teams, and our, obviously our concern is Ohio State. Time for another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We're going to step aside and come back for football at 515 on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Garrett, let's get a little football at 515. Huh? And Service Master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship create opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why it's Service Master. They don't cut corners. They clean them. The NFL has asked a judge in Nevada to throw out John Gruden's lawsuit against the NFL. And I got to be honest, John, I hope he doesn't because. And I hope John Gruden doesn't settle because I want to read some of the emails and I want, I, I want it all. I want it all. I want all the dirt. I want all the tea. I want it spilled for God and everybody to see. Just so I'm clear, because I don't. I think the NFL would stick their own hand in the garbage disposal if it got them out of having their emails released. I don't. And so I want to. I want to read them now. I don't disagree with your position on on what would make it interesting if it did go to court. And I think Gruden probably can at least stand on the idea that there's so much that the NFL doesn't want public that they might be willing to do a lot yeah, to you avoid got a lot of going to court. There. They filed two motions, according to the article that I read. One motion to dismiss the lawsuit on its merits alone, which I think maybe, maybe could happen with the right judge. I don't think it's likely, but could happen. And the other motion was to force the litigation into arbitration. The question is, if you're Gruden how confident are you that going to arbitration is going to get you what you want? And I don't know what Gruden wants. He's never going to be made whole again. Right. You, you, so that can't be the goal. What is the goal? Career as an NFL coach is over. And, Certainly. And, and, and any any chance to recoup the f- full magnitude of the earnings that you lost, that's not going to... You may get something, but you're not getting all that. And, and uh, you, you, so your, your NFL coaching career is over. Your... NFL commentating career is over outside of, you know, like OAN hiring an NFL analyst or he and Tom Brenneman should start a podcast. (laughs) You know, maybe there's a, you know, Fox News needs an NFL, an NFL analyst or something. Fox News. John John Cruden, like, let me tell you, I tell you what, man, 
Uh, but any, anyway, uh, so your commentating career is over. Your coaching career is over. Basically, this is one last hurrah, right? This is one last swing at getting a, a nice little payday. And he's probably right in that, hey, uh, this is this is not really fair. I got railroaded in, by, by the NFL, and I'm going to get my revenge. I like to assume that John Gruden is a petty dude. And it's like, I don't even care about the money. I just want these a-holes exposed. And I'm here for that too. I I I I think he's probably right in feeling that he got railroaded, and he's probably right that he'd like to like turn everybody else in too. It's my personal opinion, Garrett, that in every lawsuit that involves people or entities of this magnitude, there is one side or the other that is so adamantly opposed to letting things become public. Yeah, that it creates an incredible amount of leverage for the other side. And they're willing to pay. Like, hey, generally, spe- generally speaking, the side that is losing some of the leverage has so much money it doesn't matter. They can still right. they can still get done what they want. But I gotta believe that it's really really important to the NFL to keep this out of court. I think you're right. And I the only question then that remains is what is the important piece to John Gruden? What 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 does he consider a win if he doesn't go to court? And is he able to and willing to accept that? Or does he get it to court and take whatever the result is because he wants it in court? And he knows that whatever he gets in either scenario, he's going to get significantly less than he really had hoped for or that he had than he had a chance to earn before he was fired. I feel, and like stop me when I'm wrong, it would seem to me that John Gruden is just the type of guy that's like, I don't care about the money. I just want these people to look like they've got egg on their face, not in this courtroom, but in the court of public opinion. That I want, I want, I want to take down as many people with me as I can. I, I think there's an element of that that would be in play here, but I do believe that Gruden, like anybody else who's reached the heights that he's reached, is an egomaniac, and as an, as an egomaniac, he may be incapable of realizing that there's no actual win for him in this. And he, right. he may like you be, did what you did. It's pretty yeah. cut and dry that you did what you did, and people aren't going to forget that. And from an ego perspective, he may be chasing a win that he believes he can get because he's just incapable of accepting the fact that regardless of what all of the facts are in this scenario, I'm not escaping what we know about me. <laughs> I'm not escaping Fair. that. <laughs> right. And, yeah, I, I could see that being a blind spot. I, I don't know that I wish the NFL luck in getting it thrown out. I don't know that I wish John Gruden any luck in actually accomplishing anything with his lawsuit. But let's just be honest. We're about content. And if it goes to trial, we get a little more content than we get if it gets thrown out. 100%. So let's just kind of root for content. What do you say, listeners? Let's root for content. That's what we're rooting for. Garrett and I have opted <laughs> to root for content in the John Gruden lawsuit. Another Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout straight ahead. Uh, we're going to get into this question, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Should players be fined for cursing at fans? Kyrie got fined 25 k for using inappropriate language at fans on a Monday afternoon in Cleveland. So that's going to kind of be the genesis of the conversation, but uh, one that I have certain feelings about. Maybe you do too, 419-227-9393-1888-894-3776. If you want to share those opinions after this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. We're Cooking the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We are back here inside the Basement Doctor studio where Garrett and I, Cookie and the Monster, are presented by Lewis Family McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com so you can work today and get paid tomorrow with Lewis Family McDonald's. 
Garrett Kyrie Irving got fined $25,000 for using obscene language in response to a fan in Cleveland on Monday. Apparently, from what we understand, it was about 419 left in the second quarter of the game. A fan courtside could be heard heckling Kyrie Irving, and Kyrie responded with what is being termed as obscene language toward the fan. It resulted in a $25,000 fine from the NBA, and that led to our question, should players be fined for cursing at fans? I'll let you start, and then I'll I'll kind of follow up with my thoughts on the entire thing. I gotta know what he said. <laughs> I do right, too. Right? Like, and and, and I, I gotta think, know what he was responding to. Well, I think that's fair too. Like uh, the the video at the end of the calendar year where LeBron pointed out some fans in Indiana where they had heckled him all night, and he dealt with it but then when they started shouting we hope your son dies in a car crash and he's like ah too far we're done and he pointed them out like i think pretty much whatever lebron says to in response to that feels justified to me right (laughs) somebody's like hey i hope your kid dies that's probably where uh at minimum the the line is and uh, i get to say whatever i want back to you uh for the most part i one i think you're right i gotta know what kyrie irving was responding to but but i just i think if there's maybe it's just so abhorrent that I can't think about it, like I can't fathom it right now. But it, there's not a video of it that went viral that forced the NBA's hand that I've seen, or anybody even reporting. Hey, here's what Kyrie Irving said to this fan that led to him getting twenty five thousand dollars, a twenty five thousand dollar fine. I, I just I, I don't should should there be should there be should you be able to be fined for cursing at a fan? Yeah. Or, or saying some words that, you know, you probably just shouldn't say to a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And if he said, you know, uh, a homophobic slur, a racial slur, or whatever, um, uh, then yeah, he probably deserves to be fined. But I think you're right in one, it, what is he responding to? But then also, I'm, I'm just surprised that they, they did this and there hasn't been that big of an uproar. Even You know, you were in the arena and didn't say, one said, I, I didn't see anything that, or you, you, generally, if you said something so bad that the NBA feels like they got to find you for it, that there would be a reaction in the crowd, right? That if you're yelling at somebody in section 219, row, row three, that the people in section 219, row 14 that heard it go, whoa, hey, you can't say that. But there, that, that didn't happen. No, it didn't. And I, and I think you make a valid point. There, there are a number of layers to this that bother me. First of all, I'll start by saying, by definition and generally speaking, my mindset about all things athletics-related tends to be easily defined and accurately defined as old school. And I'm okay with that. I don't mind being old school. It's not something I'm ashamed of. It's not something that bothers me. I do believe that I have moved away from that direction somewhat and tried to be a little more open-minded about realizing that we're dealing with different types of players Mm -hmm. today and all the things about our culture have shifted. But... As an old school person, I I, I lived with and I lived in an area as I was growing up where fan behavior sometimes tended to be less than what you would prescribe as the the ideal for a high school sporting event. That that reputation hasn't persisted. No, not not, not, (laughs) as it has it for that that particular. I can tell you this, not to the degree that it did when I was young. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I I had to digest the statements very often from people that I respected who would say things with no hint of any shame whatsoever, like, well, I paid my $6 to get in so I can say what I want. 
And I, at, at 14 years of age through 18 years of age, would think, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you believe no. that? Yeah. And people do. They, they do, do believe that. I mean... I paid my money. I can act however I damn well please. Uh, what? And, and, and so we're equating your $6 entry fee, if you will, as your free reign to behave as you choose and treat the people that are participating and officiating the contest as you choose. And we use that same logic to say about professional sports athletes... They make so much money, they should have to put up with this kind of stuff. Again, I step back and say, are you kidding me? Because of high salary, they should have to accept abuse. I, I don't, that doesn't compute with me. No. I don't understand that. So it leads me to, I guess, two, two questions that I have. As an old school person, I believe that athletes on a field of play should be held to a higher standard than the fans watching the game. I do believe that. I believe that coaches who coach the sport should be held to a higher standard than the fans watching the game. I do. I, I, I believe that when you put yourself in the public eye willingly, you take on the responsibility of managing your behavior in a little bit of a different way. But I also want to make sure I'm clear on this, and this is my question. Do I have to accept that me having a higher standard means you have no standard? Because that doesn't seem fair to me. Hold me to a higher standard if you will. If you choose to, fine, I'll accept it. But what is your standard as a fan observing this game and participating from that perspective? I, I, fans want no standard to apply correct, to correct, them. Correct. And I don't, I don't want to accept that as true. So those, those are the things that create questions in my mind. The, the next question is, what does the NBA, NFL, or any other, what are they doing actively to respond to fan behavior because there is no equivalent to, hey, we can find the players on Monday. We can find the players on Thursday after a Monday game or Wednesday after a, a Monday game. We can review the film and we can find them. But what, what is the money investment? What is the, the, where, where's the skin in the game for the leagues who are issuing these fines to the players to also try and hold the, the fan base to some standard? Sorry, I'm. I have supposedly found the video. Well, that's and, good work on your part. I'm and, glad I talked for so long. And what he said. So, from what I can deduce, is these fans were heckling Kyrie Irving, and during a timeout, somebody shouted something, and he responded, "Got y'all a championship, and you mother bleepers are still ungrateful." That's what he said. He called like three fans MFers. That's what I got. I got you twenty five. Like I can't you think imagine the league would give players fifteen a week. <laughs> I would think they do. I, I, I just that's what got you. That's the, that guy. A guy twenty five thousand dollar fine was telling some fans courtside called them MFers. And again, do I think it's right that he did that? No, I do not. But if we're going to hold him to a standard that says that's worth a $25,000 fine, then what are we going what standard are we holding the fans to that says they are accountable for whatever they did that elicited that response? Nothing. Because they're not the, the league's not investigating that. No. The league's not the league's not looking into that portion of it. And I don't know that they necessarily I hate this word should. I just I want to know if we're going to hold people to a higher standard, what is the standard that we are going to hold the fans to as well? Because no one wants another, you know, malice at the palace type situation. But fans have demonstrated 
that once something like that happens, we'll have a time period where it calms down and goes away. We will gradually build back to fans, and we see it regularly behaving in a way that their only goal is to elicit a response. Correct. That's their only goal, and they have an unlimited They have reserve. all the leeway they for the most part. They have an unlimited reserve yeah. of words, opportunity. Not Time is not unlimited, but close to it, to try and get the response that they're after. And again, I don't have a problem holding players and coaches to a higher standard. I have a problem when, when we don't hold fans to any standard. Right, and I think that's 100% fair. I think that's 100% the way to look at it. I'll uh, thank you to Trey on Twitter who, who sent, just sent... I, just send us the video as well that uh, and the video came out you know 50 minutes ago or whatever but we've been a little busy <laughs> there's just there's stuff going on but it's just uh, I I gotta imagine that there's like gotta have some leeway right like yeah I mean would, would it be fair for me to say if, if we use the argument that because NBA players get paid a lot they they can they can right they should be they able can to accept that right. kind of abuse would it be fair for for me to say if you've got enough money to pay for courtside seats then you can deal with whatever i say back to you i would think that like <laughs> and i think it, it you know if it, it, there's a difference between if whatever trigger Kyrie Irving was somebody being like hey Kyrie you suck okay yeah that like you, you got to have a little thicker skin than that but if we go back to lebron and these these people shouting, "I hope your kid dies in a car crash." I think all gloves are off at that point. I should be able to pretty much say whatever I want back to you, and that that should be okay. The funny part of Monday was at, when the game ended. Kyrie ran across the floor from the Nets bench and took his game jersey off and gave it to some guy in the front row at near half court. Gave him a big bro hug and and gave him his jersey. And then he came back to the bench area and was walking to the locker room and stopped at the end of the bench, took his shoes off and gave one to one kid and one to another kid. And we we actually got some some video my son did when they were taking the court for second half warm-ups I think it was um, Micah had gotten down near the court and, and got video and people were very supportive of Kyrie as he's going on the floor and, and a guy near where my son was sitting said come home Kyrie really loud two or three times and Kyrie actually took his mask off and glanced over there with a big grin on his face you know it's kind of it's kind of ironic because he wasn't facing a lot of vitriol Right. That he in probably general, expected that, he was that going we to. could hear and see he wasn't facing that. Now, there were loud cheers when he missed and all that good stuff, and Isaac right. Okoro got into him a few times and really did a good job. So whatever happened in the second quarter, I didn't witness. I just don't like the idea, never have liked the idea, as I've said, that the two things seem diametrically opposed to me that I paid my money to get in here. I can say whatever I want. Right. And while I have that right, you don't you get to, you don't I'm, get to I'm respond. ungrateful. Right. You are going to be held to a higher standard, which means you will be held to the highest standard while I paid my money. So my standards right. have gone away. Right. I, that, that to me is ir- irrational. It makes no sense. And it's, it's uncivilized and I hate to sound uppity, but no, I, it's uncivilized period. It it is uncivilized to, to, to ask people to operate under those two separate sets of rules. And again, I believe if you've got the money to buy courtside seats, then you probably ought to just deal with it. Right. You can you can get something back in return. If you want to play the game, then play the game. But it was a league situation. I'm not sure how we can determine who you know who initiated that. It's right. a league situation. I just I would love to see what the league is doing to try and address the fan behavior on a consistent basis because the fines can come out weekly and we can see them. But what is it that, that's being done to address fan behavior? I think it would be an interesting question to try and get a response to and, uh, and determine you know, where, where the resources are going to try to manage those things as well. We got to take a timeout? We do.
All right, we got to take a non jigger jeweler timeout. When we come back, we will be in our final segment. We'll get poll results for you and water cooler conversation. I got a really cool one today. Looking forward to it. John Cook and Garrett Seawright with you on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back inside the basement doctor studio. John Cook and Garrett Seawright there for one final segment. We got some results on those Twitter poll questions. We do. We had two questions up at 931 The Fan on Twitter. We asked, should leagues find players for responding, responding to heckling fans? 67% say no. We also asked which NFL quarterback has the most pressure on them this weekend. 44% say Aaron Rodgers. 37% say Matt Stafford. All right. I guess we'll take it. I don't I don't, I don't. don't think Rodgers has a ton of pressure. Maybe, maybe Matt LaFleur yeah. does more than he does, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You got any water cooler conversation today? I, I have four very quick, very quick water cooler conversations. Knock out. those out. Uh, so the first one is Tom Brady is 44 years old. Yeah, I know. He is older than all three opposing <laughs> NFC coaches remaining in the playoffs. <laughs> now that, uh, uh, uh. that's a stat. Oh, it is. It definitely is. He's older than the other three coaches. Uh, also, the Major League, Major League Baseball has rejected the Tampa Bay Rays proposal to split their season between Montreal and Tampa Bay. And the Rays owner is apoplectic. that he is. This, this is the worst thing that could possibly ever happen to him is that they can't split their season between Montreal and Tampa Bay. You know, they're only 1,500 miles apart, John. Right. I mean, what what would be the concern there? And I'm sure the Montreal people are just, what would they be called, Mon- Mon- Montrealites? Mon- uh, the Montrealers. <laughs> Montreal, Mon- yeah, I'll, I'll look at I'm up. sure they're bitterly disappointed in that outcome. What are I'm not sure of that at all. I, I, I think I understand why they're making the proposal to a degree. I mean, it gets hotter than the inside of a bunt cake in tampa during the summer montrealer is the montreal okay montreal i got that right so but i can't see who else would be disappointed well (laughs) uh speaking of baseball robot umpires coming to triple a in 2022 robot umpires officially in triple a that's kind of big time that's a great big announcement you can make when you're going to lock your players up from now till (laughs) kingdom come <laughs> there's that and my final one is a little bit longer but um remember kevin ollie the i do i do uconn basketball coach who got fired a few years ago for ncaa violations yes uh, I do. he sued uconn to get his money because um he, he said you know they didn't fu- they they claimed they fired him for cause he said they didn't they said well you committed all these ncaa violations it came out that the school self-reported the ncaa violations basically so they could fire kevin ollie and hire somebody else that was better and arbit an arbiter today ruled that he is due just over $11 million from his contract that they violated, that they didn't fire him properly. So he's due $11 million that UConn has to pay within the next 10 business days. Woo! <laughs> so Woo. I'm not sure if they've got $11 million just sitting around in a, in a rainy, rainy day fund, but $11 million over the course of the next 10 days, that's like hitting the old lottery there for Kevin Ollie. That, that, well, and I think isn't Kevin Ollie kind of running one of those, yeah, those competitive, well, I forget like the name of it. Overtime the, Elite. Overtime Elite. Yeah, he's running Overtime Elite. So obviously, you know, if he gets 11 mil, he could probably go back to the folks at Overtime Elite and say, look, I don't need a salary. Let's pour it back into the into the entity and see how much more we can do with it. That's an interesting 11, outcome. $11,157,032.95 due to him within the next 10 business days. Stay tuned, huh? <laughs> I, I would imagine there will be an appeal or whatever, but UConn's like, no, 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 no. Please don't make us pay $11 million over the, by next Thursday. <laughs> you ever hear of a guy named Sadio Main? I have not. Sadio Main, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, M-A-N-E. 
Sadio Mane is a Senegalese soccer star, Garrett. And if you would have thought that, if you would have bet any money on, I was going to talk about Senegalese <laughs> soccer players while I am doing this show. When we started back in August, you could have won a lot of money betting on that. The That's odds fair. were astronomically low that I would ever get to this topic. But he's a Senegalese soccer star who earns approximately $10 million annually. And he's in a photo recently where he was walking away from what looks like some press availability, and he's carrying his cell phone with his earbuds in it, and he's got something under his arm. And the the picture, you can clearly see that the screen on his cell phone is just absolutely shattered on his iPhone. And his response when asked about it, this is why I'm doing this. So when you go to the water cooler tomorrow, talk about Sadio Main and his response to why he has a cracked cell phone screen when he said, why would I want 10 Ferraris, 20 diamond watches, and two jet planes? I starved. I worked in the fields. I played barefoot, and I didn't go to school. Now I can help people. I prefer to build schools and give poor people food or clothing. I have built schools and a stadium, provide clothes, shoes, and food for people in extreme poverty. In addition, I give 70 euros per month to all people from a very poor Senegalese region in order to contribute to their family economy. I do not need to display luxury with cars or luxury homes, trips, and even planes. I prefer that my people receive some of what life has given me. Good good dude. Nobody is going to heckle that dude. No. Nobody is going to heckle that dude. And I don't know what that is indicative of. I just think that in the sports culture in which we live, we're going to have headlines that have nothing except fines, firings, COVID, and scandal. And we're going to talk a lot more about the John Gruden lawsuit and the Kevin Ollie lawsuit with fair reason. Content is content. That's not the kind of content that's going to make it to a lot of places. And that's a professional athlete that I don't care what you think of the sport. $10.2 million annually is a significant amount of money, but it's not astronomical by today's standards. No. And he, he lists off the things that he's doing with that money because he wants to help the people that are from his home country and that have lived the life that he was fortunate enough to escape because of his skills as an athlete. I just find it very fascinating. And I thought it was certainly worth talking about. I, I I think everybody has dreamed about you know two weeks ago we talked about winning the the Powerball for you know six hundred million dollars or whatever. We, we've all sat there and thought, man, w- w- wouldn't it be cool if you won and you got to walk in and tell your boss <laughs> you got to give him the bird and say I'm out. But then after that, I, I've always you know, if I'm if I was Jeff Bezos, I would. I would make Andrew Carnegie look like a hobo, man. They, 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 like, they just, they, they, I, I would be dishing out money left and right to because there's so many worthy causes out there and people who deserve just to. And anytime somebody brings up a, you know, would you do this? How much? How much money would it take you to do this? I, I'm just a simple dude. Like ten thousand, ten thousand dollars is life changing money to three quarters of America. Yeah, if somebody told me there was a $10,000 sum in my bank account that I didn't know was there, I would be indiscriminately excited. Right, like, it would like, be hard to hide. That is a significant sum of money in my life. Like to a lot of people, <laughs> like, just an extra $10,000, no question to ask, is life-changing money. And I don't think the average rich person understands that, but this Senegalese soccer player is keenly aware that... In Senegal, $500 to somebody yeah, is a huge deal. I don't know anything about euros, but he is giving 70 euros a month to an entire 
basically village of people to help with their and, and and we have to assume that that means a significant amount to those people right right and that is certainly worthwhile busy night of sports here on our airwaves we obviously have the blue jackets at philly tonight so you can catch that one at is that 6 30 airtime yep 6 30 jackets airtime. at philly 6 30 airtime and crestview at delphus jefferson girls basketball over on fun 107 correct yes sir that is a seven o'clock airtime for that you can catch all those things we appreciate you joining us we'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock hope that you have a fantastic evening we will talk to you four o'clock tomorrow afternoon i'm john cook he's garrett seawright thanks for joining us for cooking the monster here on lima sports radio 93 one the fan